Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. You see, whilst the other Cultaholic lads are gearing up for Sunday's live tree, live stream of Adam Pacitti being locked in a room for 24 hours with things that smell, we are examining something that truly stinks. WWF Raw in 1993. We don't get the sweet relief of fresh air after one day either. No, no, no. We are trapped inside a pro wrestling new era dumpster fire, taking sweet solace from the occasional unripe banana peel or some discarded holiday brochure covered in old cream. And who be we? I be radio faced fake Geordie Tom Campbell, as joined. As always, by the bear in the big blue bar cage, Cultaholic's top pen. It's not a pencil, because he gets it right first time every time. Justin Henry is there in America. Well, see, this is where you and I beg to differ, in the words of Delbert Grady. You're I not in America? Uh, well, New Jersey's technically American. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it, it was the third state admitted to the Union. But, uh, <laughs> okay. But, um... I beg to differ on the quality of this show because even though it's, we'll say generously, we'll say it's flawed, I happen to enjoy this show. It was certainly better than where we have been, uh, but yes. there was a few things that were there and weren't there that really, really get on my wick. And we will get to my wick and Justin's <laughs> wick uh, in this week's episode. Are you well, Justin? Uh, I am quite well. We are recording this on a Monday afternoon, the day after my Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz made his return and led the Eagles to victory. Yeah, go a, Eagles! In a rain-filled game that uh, it wasn't without its flaws. It was kind of like this rolling away. And like, uh, I was, I was happy with it. Although there are some stuff that could be cleaned up. But they won, and that's the important thing. Yes, and. Uh, well, there are some players in the Eagles who are religious, and this show <clears throat> delves into religion a little bit. It does a little bit, but, doesn't it? It gets a little bit uh, later on. Yes, but we'll cr- we'll cross that part and see when we get there. <laughs> hey, I see what you did there. Uh, <clears throat> I I met Ophidian yesterday. That was exciting. Of the Osirian portal? Of the very same Osirian portal. Wow, what was that like? What a lovely guy. And uh, he didn't even try and hypnotize me. So that was nice. A uh, big thank you to the guys at Empire Wrestling who who put on a, a, a stacked show in Sunderland. Um, 
including Ophidian, Millie McKenzie, Session Moth Martina. <clears throat> it was it, among many, many other people. It was a really strong show. Session Moth Martina is quite the colourful character. She's brilliant. I love her quite a lot. And uh, it's I have to mind myself because when I first met her, I was a bit giddy. And then I saw her again. I was like, I can't just be a geek around her so i'll just go hello nice to see you again she probably doesn't remember who i am but um well she, she should i mean no. you're one half of the call to Hall classic raw review so i i um i i helped millie mckenzie with some money she's not that not that she didn't borrow any from me but she needed some change on the merch table and i was helping on the merch table and so i swapped some money for her so <laughs> i can say that we've at least exchanged some coins well, I mean, that's pretty lucky, given that you're a loan shark and everything. Yeah, it's very handy. Yeah, <laughs> as Millie, what Millie McKenzie does not know is that currently that one pound is now £93.20. And I shall be I shall be at Hello Wembley on Sunday to claim it. <laughs> I do follow the up and down of the poundage on, a, on, a, on the daily here. Because, Whenever uh, they mention anything about Brexit, it's just that's where you see the trough. Yeah, and it's... Uh, and this always goes down at the end of the month when I get paid. <laughs> <laughs> Justin's not buying anything from us. Quick, drop the pound. <laughs> drop the pound. But hey, it look, always seems that way. We are not here to talk about the, the, the grim times in 2018. We are here to talk about the grim times in 1993. Fundamental difference. In particular, uh, this week's episode of Monday Night Raw. What, uh, what date and where are we, Justin, for this? It is Monday, April 12th, 1993. We are live from the Mid-Hudson Civic Center in Poughkeepsie, New York. And from my readings here, there were a lot of freebies given out for the show. There was a purported 3,500 in attendance, which is about three and a half times larger than the usual raw crowd. It did Manhattan seem like a Center. bigger raw crowd, so was a lot of it papered? A lot of it was papered because these were people who couldn't get to the snow show the month earlier. Aha, so they were given freebies to come back to this one. Uh, I'm guessing tickets that were good for that show were honored for this one. I really like this venue. It's a really nice venue for Raw. It's a step up from the Manhattan Center, and it just feels like a nice size for TV. Well, aesthetically, I like the Manhattan Center, how, how it's configured with the whole theater set up. But I will concede that a bigger crowd here does make it seem like a better show. And in fact... This building here, the Mid-Hudson Civic Center, once had a pay-per-view in it. Do you know which one? Was it one of the in-your-houses? It, it was not even a WWE show. Oh. Hmm. Oh, okay. Um, was it an ECW show? Yes, it was. Okay, was it Anarchy Rules 1999? A little bit earlier. Anarchy Rules 1998? There was no Anarchy Rules 1998. <laughs> what was the show? Go on, put me out of my misery. Hardcore Heaven 1999. Ah. The show in which Taz, as ECW champion, defeated Bubba Ray Dudley in the main event. Well, it's funny you mentioned ECW. Um, what I've done is I've I've gone back to this week in 1993, made a couple of notes from things happening around the industry at this time. Very, very mm -hmm. briefly. Uh, it was okay. this week in wrestling. Uh, that, um, well, this is the second, actually, this was the week before. ECW Hardcore TV is now a thing in 1993. Uh, mm -hmm. Second week of Hardcore TV. Don Morocco is ECW champion. 
And Jimmy yes, Snooker was... is the ECW television champion. So we, we, we rag on WWF for not quite knowing its identity yet. And there's Don Morocco <laughs> as the ECW champion. Well, before years end, you'll have both Terry Funk and Tito Santana winning the ECW title. What a weird old time. What a weird old time. And it was awesome. this week on WCW Saturday night that Cactus Jack beat Big Van Vader by countout. This would eventually lead to their uh, their their infamous no holes barred match and the pile driver on the floor. Uh, the one that that basically smashed in the back of Foley's head. Yes, that one, it made his made his extremities go numb. Yeah, when when he wasn't moving, that was at least partially a shoot. I heard there was yeah, there's there's far too much truth to that. So that was what was happening in wrestling in this particular week. Also, informer. Um, by Snow was number one in America, and the Bluebells' younger heart was number one in the UK. So to have that as well. And they're both still doing great today. Yay! We all still love all those hits by Snow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they certainly Ryan, didn't peak at Informer. Ronnie, who the hell's Snow again? Informer! You know, and you boom boom down. That one. And those are the actual lyrics. <laughs> I, I, I gotta say, um, since you're doing this week in history, I pulled up the historyofwe.com and I'm going to '93 here. Okay. And at at the same time, half the roster had been whisked away to the uh, United Kingdom for the annual, I, I'm assuming annual tour of the UK in the, in the springtime. Oh yeah, this was love the a UK tour. Now there was no WWE show on Monday night, but the following night in Aberdeen, Scotland. This was the card. Are you ready? I'm ready. Typhoon defeated Damien Demento. Kamala okay. defeated Kimchi. Yokozuna defeated Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> Doink, the Clown defeat... Doink the Clown defeated Crush by Countout. Mr. Perfect defeated the narcissist Lex Luger. The Nasty Boys fought the Headshrinkers to a double disqualification. And in the main event... Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels defeated Bob Backlund. <laughs> what a night! Was there a big, there a big drop off in fandom in the UK at this point in time? Yeah, uh, to be honest with you, the 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 absolute peak for WWF fandom in the UK was SummerSlam '92, which was the which was the yes. WWF's first stadium or the last stadium show for a long, long time, and it was at Wembley, and. After that, it just sort of gradually, gradually declined. Uh, in fact, uh, they're on that same UK tour on the 11th of April. They held a show at the Sheffield Arena, headlined by Lex Luger versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Whew. Yeah, uh, and then Duggan wrestled in, and then Duggan wrestled in the dark match afterwards, beating Yokozuna in three minutes. I am not making that up. I mean, oh, I love Hacksaw time. and everything, but wow. Mr. Perfect versus Samu from the Head Shrinkers. Oh, my gosh. People in Sheffield paid for this. Did Vince offer Bulldog, like, the buy Windsor Castle for him if he came back and did this tour? Possibly. Vince likes trying to buy stuff in the UK. Um, Vince McMahon did attempt to buy Newcastle United Football Club a while ago. Mm. There was there was strong rumorings that have been since confirmed by Bruce Pritchard that Vince McMahon was interested in buying... 
the the resident Geordie football team, Newcastle United. And I am currently looking where I, where I'm sat right now. I'm looking out and I can see St James's Park where Newcastle play. And I'm just sort of picturing a big WWE logo on the side of it. All of a sudden, here places all all the players with uh, bigger players because you know I got to sell them to the public and. Uh... <laughs> Up front for Newcastle, Gary Strydum. Wow! <laughs> I I go for patches on the uniforms. <laughs> oh, if only Vince actually bought British football, we'd have such a time. <laughs> you don't, you don't bend it around the defense. It's what a maneuver. <laughs> oh, Vince, try and buy Newcastle United again, please. That'd be amazing. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Anyway, let's let's crack on and go back in our Ica Pro powered DeLorean to Monday Night Raw of this very year, Sir Justin. So, so we start off, and I realize that this is the last taping for Rob Bartlett. They're this is our last shows. night with Rob. Not the last night because he's on next week's show, but this is the last taping. Okay, okay. Because we're taping two shows bit. tonight. This week's and the April nineteenth episode, which which we'll cover next week, which would be the. Farewell to Robert Bartlett. Do you know what? That is a real shame because I didn't think he was too bad on this show. He did have some moments on here. One, he had some physical moments and he had some decent one-liners that actually they tickled a part of my brain that appreciates a little bit of acerbic humor. He was so, he was good. He was good this week. The show begins with a very. I want to say attitude era like moment because I didn't realize they had moments like this before 1997. The hidden camera watching a backstage moment, which what, which wasn't a prevalent thing until Vince Russo became part of the writing staff, I believe. We we see Money Incorporated basically consulting with the Beverly Brothers and are paying them for information on the Steiner Brothers because on this show, Erwin R. Scheisser is going to wrestle Scotty Steiner. So basically, they're just buying whatever they can in terms of uh, inside knowledge. It's like insider trading, but it involves wrestling. I must say that I think that Ted at IRS just clearly have more money than sense. I liked how IRS told them that it was tax-free. That was nice. Nice little touch. <laughs> nice touch. Um, but the fact that they said, hey, thanks, here's some money. Now tell us about the Steiner brothers. And the Bo and Blake went, yeah, look out for the Steiner line and that move off the top rope. <laughs> Like, like, what? What false economy? You could have just watched the video, lads. You could have listened to this podcast. You could have listened to this. <laughs> but you pay. Send us, put some money in our Patreon. We'll tell you how to beat the Steiners next week. <laughs> okay, here's how I do it on Fire Pro. You somebody <laughs> like yeah. Vader. Justin, Justin's mapped this out on Fire Pro already. Yes, I'm the Alexander York of video games. <laughs> That'd be a great gimmick. You just play out the games on Fire Pro. <laughs> this is how they'll go. Okay. okay, now at this point, you uh, you slam up. You should fall out of the ring automatically because you're so close to the ropes. And, and then you pull the chair out. I know it, for some reason it has a bar on the bottom of the chair, but ignore that. That's just a, <laughs> that's just a cosmetic choice on the part of the developers. Anyway. <laughs> So, as we said before, this is a pretty good-sized crowd, about 3,500 reportedly. Yeah. A lot, of them were, a lot of them were freebies, but it made for a nice atmosphere. We get the three-shot of our commentating crew, Vince, Savage, and Rob Bartlett, and immediately I am befuddled by Rob Bartlett's shirt because it looks like casino carpeting. Oh, gosh, that, that shirt gave me a bit of a headache, actually. I had to turn the TV 
brightness down a bit. That was there was nothing on commentary louder that night than Rob Bartlett's shirt. <laughs> yes, it, it was this dark sort of like purplish black kind of diamond pattern. It, it was something that, you, that if you if you watch like a stand up special from thirty years ago that somebody would wear on stage thinking it was fashionable, and they realize, oh, okay, this is the eighties. Except he's wearing it in nineteen ninety three. And Bartlett for the show is not wearing sunglasses, which I thought was interesting because we haven't seen a lot of his eyes at this point. Yeah, he lo- he almost looked normal this week. <laughs> he looked like a drug counselor from 1991. <laughs> so on the show, Savage puts over the forthcoming Scott Steiner IRS match, whereas Rob Bartlett will be interviewing Luna Vachon. You can almost see in advance that this was the, hey, let's embarrass Bartlett a little bit, backstage ribs, so to speak. But once again, as we will see, Rob Bartlett doesn't go quietly into the night with him getting embarrassed, and he just owns it. But we'll get to that when we get to that. And then Savage put tries to put over Friar Ferguson, and you can tell from the look of, on Vince's face that this is a, he's having some apprehension about even doing <laughs> This upcoming bit with a newcomer to the WWF. Well, this is the thing. Like, this is Vince's idea. Like, why is Vince suddenly going, oh, I don't know about this. Surely Vince would have signed off on your wrestling monk character that's about to debut with no vignettes and (laughs) no pre-promotes. Well, it's like when someone dares you to jump off a bridge into a lake. This looks like you're like hell yeah I got this I'll I'll jump off your friggin' bridge into the lake, and then you go up there and you realize the height and you realize you, know, just, you can gauge the depth of the water to a certain degree and you're like I think I may have just screwed up I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> so did you think that the Friar Ferguson gimmick is somebody daring Vince to do something religious? I think Vince dared himself because. I, I can't see Bruce Pritchard saying, "Hey Vince, you know, be really great is it is that we put a uh, a brown robe on a guy, a, a fat guy, no less, and, and send him out there to play a monk." And Vince is like, "God damn it, pal, that's brilliant. I like it." <laughs> so, it's possible somebody could have suggested, and Vince said, "Hey, you know what? This sounds different. Let's do it." And then, and then he gets to the showtime and realizes, "Oh no, <laughs> oh no, right. I made this a terrible gonna... mistake." No, Vince doesn't make mistakes. Other people make mistakes. That person who told me to do it made a mistake. <laughs> yes. So we kick things off with IRS and Scott Steiner. IRS takes time to note that Thursday is tax day here in the United States. One and day, was... I hope he picks up the microphone and says something non-taxi. Just something completely unrelated. Yeah. Cheese is a type of meat. What? <laughs> I'm not going you know, to hound us for tax today? Okay. I've eaten a pretzel in every state, and i got to say the ones here in New York suck. <laughs> That's a great heel line. Write that down. IRS hater of pretzels. Do you know what was nice? It was nice to see Tim White. Good old referee Tim White. Referee Tim White, who I was reminded of when I watched the Andre the Giant HBO documentary and didn't realize how much of a history he had with Andre. Well, he was, I don't say he was like his servant, but he was so close to him that he would help him out with little things because, I mean, Andre couldn't, couldn't always move around very well or, or I mean, travel could be difficult for him. So he, he so he assumed a, a great friendship with him. And uh, he, he's got a lot of warm memories of Andre as, as evidenced by 
that documentary and other interviews he's done over the years. The less we say about the Tim White suicide stuff, the better as well. Because that was... in in. It's funny when you look back on stuff for the rest of the industry and go... Why? What? Why did we? Why did we find that funny? What was wrong with us? Wait, you found that funny? Initially, I think. <laughs> obviously, now I'm like. I think. I think when I watched it at the time, I was just kind of oh, okay. That's that. That's that's a running joke. That's 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 cool. But now I'm mortified by it because it's like that's terrible. That's so bad. It's, it's it, you know, it's, I have this, the same feeling watching that as watching Fred Flintstone have a cigarette around the back of the cave. Just like at the time it brought some mirth. And looking back, I thought, this is terrible. This is a terrible, terrible thing. In case, we're, in case we don't cover it 12, uh, 12 and a half years from now, when we're, when we're still doing this podcast. <laughs> I was out on a movie date that night. And because I don't silence my cell phone, I, I put it, I quiet it, but I, I leave it on. I get a text in the middle of the movie. Okay, it says, apparently Tim White just killed himself with a pay-per-view. A friend of mine texted me that. Oh, my God. And I, I'm just, huh? I can't remember what, what movie I was watching. It, was, it wasn't Chronicles of Narnia. It, it, actually, it might have been. <laughs> but it was just, so uh, I'm trying to enjoy this wonderfully, you know, cheerful, amiable movie. You know, my girlfriend is enamored by the beavers that were in it. I have no idea why. And I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking, Tim White killed himself on a pay-per-view. Like I'm, like I'm like scrunched eye trying to reconcile this and just, huh? So yes, that was my memory of that angle. And then it became like an online exclusive where every week there'd be a new video. Tim, that's not wise of Josh Matthews saying that. Oh, it was. Uh... It was certainly a dark part of Josh Matthews' career, and that's saying something. <laughs> Speaking of dark, we go to the dark-shirted Rob Bartlett. Nice. Who asks why IRS needs suspenders if he's already wearing a belt. I like that line. That was a funny line. <laughs> and I realized during the match, because this is how stupid I am, IRS, <laughs> wasn't actually wearing, IRS actually wasn't wearing a belt. He was referring to his tag team belt. <laughs> Did you not get that straight away? Not straight away. I'm, I'm thinking... Well, that would be an interesting uh, sartorial choice to have a belt and suspenders on. It means you're overly cautious. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> either way, he he had a decent point. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That made me laugh. I was like, yeah, that's that's one for you, Rob. <laughs> Randy Savage couldn't get over the fact that this was a singles match with Ted DiBiase and Rick Steiner not physically involved because he made sure to note, notice there are no tag ropes. Yeah, he was very, he was, he was very, very much keen to point out the lack of tag ropes. Strange. No, this isn't a tag team. This isn't a tag team match because even though Rick Steiner and Ted DiBiase are on the outside, you might think it's a tag team match because on the WrestleMania Challenge Nintendo game, your partners will be on the floor during tag team matches. So don't get confused. Do you think that's what it is? He didn't want anybody who'd recently played the WrestleMania Challenge game to think, oh no, it's fine, it's a tag match. They'll, they'll, in a second, they'll press select and they will jump over the rope and perfectly clear the top rope and land in the yes. ring. Of the four WWF games for Nintendo, that was by far the best one. When When is Andre the Giant teaming up with you? Yes. 
Yes, you. You and your troll doll hair and your generic tights. Incidentally, if you the best way to beat Andre the Giant was to be Ultimate Warrior, because Ultimate yes, Warrior was the only one that did the press slam out of the ring. <laughs> but Andre could jump back into the ring if he, if he knew how to rub how to basically grind against the apron and throw yourself back in. Oh, which, see, which I, I always found like. that Andre couldn't get back in the ring. No, there's a way to jump back in. There is. Oh, see, I didn't think that worked for Andre. Hey, if you played it, let us know in on the Twitters who's <laughs> right and who's wrong. We'll keep a tally. There is a way. There is a way. Um. So Scott Steiner uh, makes his way out with Rick, and it dawned on me listening to OSW Review this weekend Scott Steiner looks like Dave Meltzer. Oh my God, you're right. Like terrifyingly like Dave Meltzer. Like Dave Meltzer quantum leaped into one of the Steiner brothers. As of that, James Vanderbeek Twitter account took Big Papa Pump's face, airbrushed off the goatee, and put it on Dave Meltzer's head. And we're talking early 90s Dave Meltzer when, when he had the Meltz mullet. It looks like him. And Meltzer's pretty swole these days. So I reckon mm. if he went bleach blonde, he could probably look like Scott Still. Well, I mean, the word that I get, I mean, is that I am, I suppose, your hookup. And, uh, <laughs> you know, um, uh, that is a holler, six star I, impression of Dave Meltzer. Holler, um, you know, if you hear me. And then, and then Brian will throw something else. And we go now to Scott Steiner versus <laughs> Erwin Arshyster. Basically, just I always it, seem it, to remember Dave Meltzer calling into the law, live audio wrestling. And I feel like every time they go, so Dave, what's happening with this? He'd always go, I, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like every well, question know. they answer him, well, I, I don't know. It's like, All right, Dave. Um, cheers, mate. Well, well um, your guess is as good as mine. And uh... <laughs> you're a great analyst. Thanks for coming on, Dave, mate. <laughs> I, 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 I got to say, if, if we ever see Todd Pentengill interview 1993 Scott Steiner, that is Meltzer and Alvarez. Oh, gosh. Because cool. if you close your eyes, you can't tell Pentengill from Alvarez except for the fact that Alvarez is intelligent. <laughs> if, if God, Alvarez sounds dumb today, oh, that's Todd. God, Todd sounds smart today. Oh, that's Alvarez. Todd's a radio boy so, now, anyway, so that's that that explains it. And and, and Brian's a better radio boy. Yeah, but we digress. Uh, we digress because this is actually a really fun match. So, it is a good match, actually. These two really do <laughs> knock about really nicely together. Although I, I had to note one of Bartlett's more absurd lines. This is like something you would see on a T-shirt at Hot Topic, nineteen ninety-nine. Blood is thicker than water, but then again, so is toothpaste. Yeah, I, 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 that washed over me, and I had to rewind it and go, "What? Why did he say that?" Okay, <laughs> there was no reason he just said it. Very Dada-esque. My favourite bit of this match—it just—I don't know why it tickled me. Um, so Scott goes out of the ring, and Ted DiBiase goes over there to. To, to be all baddie. So Rick comes over to challenge Ted and immediately Ted strips down to his pants. <laughs> like, he, like he's like a stripper, like whips off his jacket, whips off his shirt, which is like a like a one one piece frontage jobby. And then mm -hmm. like 
rips his trousers and there's poppers all at the side and suddenly he's in his pants ready to fight. It's just a really weird reaction. Why did you have to take all your clothes off in order to get ready to fight Rick Steiner? Uh, can you imagine that? If you, were, if you were down a bar one night, somebody challenged you and you just suddenly have to rip, all, rip your trousers off before you fight them. It's very peculiar. It, it was like a Chippendales routine. It and... was. And he was, it was like he practiced it. That was the thing. It was so smooth. It was just whang, jacket, whang, shirt, whoop, trousers, bang. I just like, I just like this pants tear away like he's an NBA player. It's and amazing. War- it's amazing. You know, his warm-ups are over, so he's ready to come into the game. He's the sixth man on the team. I thought they. I thought it would become a tag team match. I thought, well, well he's done that because it's going to be a tag match. And then he come back from break, and he's just stood there in his pants. No fight was had, but now he's lost his suit. Well, Teddy Long was still in WCW, so you couldn't do that yet. Oh, that's and true. Page was not even. And Page wasn't even a year old yet. And the Undertaker was nowhere to be found on this particular show. Yes, the the Undertaker player. With the Undertaker player. Uh, before that happened, though, the DiBiase strip tease, we got the um, we got a moment where you just appreciate just how strong Scott Steiner really is. And this is keep on this is pre Big Papa Pump. I mean, he was still quite muscular, but nothing like he would become. He's going for a simple vertical suplex at one point. They kind of whiff a little bit, where Scott kind of he kind of uh, he does almost like a pump fake. But Iris goes to jump anyway, and with Iris's feet three inches off the mat, Scott muscles him over into the suplex anyway. And Iris, Iris wasn't even like like in the jump motion at that point. Like he was descending, and Scott just muscled him over anyway. That was huge, just it's, huge. I think something that, that like Brock would do, maybe Braun could do, but nobody else. And here's Scott Steiner making it look so easy. Steiner's so good at this point. Like the the, the Steiners in general are just a, they're a strong team, but this was <laughs> like they were in their real element at the moment. <laughs> We, I've, I've, I've said it before in a previous podcast, 1993 Scott Steiner on today's independent circuit would be insane. God, can you imagine how much money he'd make? The adulation that guys like the Young Bucks and Matt Riddle get would be nothing compared to what Scott Steiner got. Every, like, come, everybody would be begging to sign him. <laughs> just, he, he could just take money from everybody, worked at headline every single show. He was a marvel. He was he was he might be the pound for pound greatest athlete I've ever seen in wrestling, legitimately. Absolutely, I really, really, really like him. At this point, he's brilliant. So Savage keeps reminding us that it's, that it's a singles match. It's like we get it. Even though DiBiase has taken all of his clothes off, sands his tights and his <laughs> ring boots, it is in fact still a singles match. All right, Randy, we get it. Singles, got it. Vince keeps putting her with the Luna Vashon interview that's coming up, calling her a former centerfold. And Bartlett quickly adds a field and stream, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> I missed that line. That's quite funny. I actually get that. <laughs> if you can imagine Bobby Heenan saying it with, with sort of a wooden cadence, or not wooden, but like a deadpan cadence, that's a good line. And Bartlett, that was a good line. So... Just give me an idea of, of how in, into this match the crowd is. Scott at one point gets a humongous pop just for elbowing the Iris in the jaw. Just a basic setup to another move, and the crowd goes nuts for that. They are so hot for Scott. It's brilliant. It is, and 
Scott even does the Randy Savage leap over the ropes while holding that guy, so you can throw him across the top rope. But he does it while holding IRS's necktie. That, that was, was good. Awesome. That was I, I like it when I think I've seen people do that to IRS before. It's always funny. But, but with Scott, it comes off as like a funny dick move. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it immensely. So late in the match, Scott hits the double underhook drop. DiBiase breaks up a possible pinfall attempt for the disqualification. It was a fun match, but of course we're not done yet. Because the, the Steiners come in, it's a, it's a four-way brawl. They get DiBiase up for the Steiner Bulldog. They outrun the Beverly's to prevent it. And we get... <laughs> there are some dumb moments on this show, but to me, this was the dumbest. <laughs> DiBiase is holding Scott with his arm, holding his arms behind his back, so he's trapped in the in a position for, for someone else to you know, you know, punch him in the face or whatever, and he can't block it. But instead of some, like, like instead of Bo and Blake teeing off on Scott, they hold hands for the double clothesline and run at Scott. Now my question here: DiBiase is directly behind Scott Steiner, holding him in place for a move that's going to take Scott off of his feet theoretically. So shouldn't DiBiase be like holding him from the side or whatever instead of staying directly behind him? This was. I'm I'm so glad you saw this too. Because this was ridiculous. Because even if they had been successful and Steiner hadn't ducked out of the way, both men were going to get mowed down by a Beverly double clothesline. Exactly. It's like when you're watching the Three Stooges and Mo comes in with like a sledgehammer or something. You're like, oh god, someone's getting hurt. This isn't going to go well. That was my reaction to the spot. Like, oh, they're going to screw Ted up really bad. Sure enough, Scott ducks and DiBiase gets wiped out, so... Well, DiBiase did go down, it's just, well, Scott didn't. So this leads to a bit of dissension between the Beverly's and Money, Inc. And the Beverly's are acting super baby-face-ish now. DiBiase clears from the ring. He's trying to beg off by trying to pay him off. They refuse. And, you know, they're, they're demanding that DiBiase and IRS get back in there. All of a sudden, they're not the prissy, pretty boys from Shaker Heights, Ohio anymore. They're no, suddenly they're like, they're like super cool dudes. They've reverted back to being the destruction crew from AWA, Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom. Except, I think, I could be wrong here, but I think we're in the final weeks of at least Bo Beverly's employment here. Because Blake carried on for a bit afterwards as a jobber. And Bo, I think Bo finished up after, I think all the guys on the show went on the European tour after this. Because it was like a double tour, they'd be in two cities each night. And I think the Beverly's finished up maybe a week or two after this. Well, Bo did. It seems a strange time to decide to try and turn them face. Uh, I, I mean, to me, the big problem here is, you know, that these two teams are going at it when Iris named his son after Bo Beverly. Really? <laughs> you, you literally caught me off guard then. I was like, no, he didn't. Oh, okay, he didn't. That was the jokes. Okay. B team, B team, go, go, go. <laughs> See, that makes it like it does make it even stranger the fact that they are attempting to turn the Beverly's if they are on the way out. Well, maybe they weren't supposed to be on their way out. Maybe, I mean, I don't know what could have happened because, I mean, Blake was around till like September and Bo was gone like almost right after this. So that's kind of, it's kind of odd. I, I, I've never seen any stories that explains why Bo may have left or 
what may have caused him to leave, if it was mutual, if something happened, if he just had enough of, of wrestling, you know, what might have been. It does seem rather random, though. Very peculiar decision. And the Beverly's weren't a bad tag team by any means. I mean, they were fine as a heel duo. They could bump around. They could carry a match. They were fun. People have bad memories of them because of the Bushwhackers match, but goddamn, did they have a cool finishing move. I can't remember their finishing move. The Shaker Heights Spike. Oh, what a name. Yeah. They throw the guy off the ropes. Blake would alley oop him into the air so they would go up horizontally. Then Bo grabbed by the side of the head in midair and slam him face first into the mat. That's sensational. I don't know why I've never seen that move. I guess I've just never wa- I haven't watched them win enough matches. <laughs> they did it to a jobber earlier in '93. This is on YouTube, and the jobber tries to cut a slip in midair, thinking it's like a back body drop. So when Bo spikes him, he can't salvage him in time. He drives him head first right into the mat, almost almost broke the guy's neck. And it wasn't Bo's fault; it was the jobber's fault for for flipping too uh, you know, too swiftly. Supposed to just go up horizontally. And take a pancake bump with Bo guiding it down. So, uh, why don't you take us through this next part with the WrestleMania <laughs> Nine promo or, or whatever you want? Because I'm I'll gonna find be, a clip really. I'll be glad to because we had a WrestleMania Nine bit that suggested to me that WrestleMania Nine hadn't done as well as they were hoping. So we get a mm-hmm. recap of WrestleMania Nine, and we know that tonight. Uh, after Monday Night Raw, we have got on pay-per-view the replay of WrestleMania 9. And they show, like, a few stills of the night. And the the language that they use suggests to me, we're in trouble, please, please help us, give us some money. Because the way that, the way that not only the voiceover, which I think was Todd Pettingill, or was it Vince for uh, both of them? I think it was Sean Mooney. Sean Mooney. But I know Vince, because I know that Vince reiterates this later on. The whole ethos being, if you missed it, don't miss it again. If you watched it, you need to watch it again. (laughs) Just (laughs) please, please buy WrestleMania 9. Please. We we realized that we really, we really buggered up the build-up and just (laughs) talked about Mean Gene wearing a toga. But let's come watch it, please. It felt really, really (laughs) beggy. And... I've never heard. Uh, But hey, as we go through this. this Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This, uh, this timeline, we may hear it again. I've never heard the, the, the pay-per-view sell sound so desperate as it did for WrestleMania 9. We've just watched the best WrestleMania. If you missed it, watch it. If you've watched it, buy it again, please. <laughs> Sounds so it, beggy. It, it was like years later when Jerry Lord, when like a diva would appear in Playboy and Jerry Lord would say, I bought 200 copies of the issue. <laughs> yeah, that. They want you to buy <laughs> WrestleMania 200 times if you possibly could. Go watch it at a friend's house then come back and watch it at your house. I mean, it does sound exciting when they lay out what hap- what WrestleMania Nine was about. Like, not one but two WWF title changes, which in this in this era is unheard of. You know, this is an era where a guy would have the WWF belt for eons. So to have two title changes in one night as a casual fan in the nineties, I'd have gone, "Oh, okay, I'm intrigued," and then I would have bought it and been really sad. I I will say I I, I just looked it up. The buy rate for Mania Nine was up on the previous two WrestleManias. And right. I'll do a little. I'll do a little history here. WrestleMania, actually, hang on. Okay, from the previous two, WrestleMania 6, 1990 did five hundred sixty thousand, which is phenomenal. Seven to ninety one, four hundred thousand. That's quite a frosty drop. Eight and ninety two, three hundred ninety thousand. Okay. Nine and ninety three. 430,000. Okay. So it was up, just not astronomically up. Not astronomically up. Although I'm sure the replay had a lot to do with it. And I'll tell you what, I'll introduce this next part. I'm going to check your Twitter DMs because I sent you a little video that is going to make you nauseous. Oh, okay, okay. That's why I had you do that last bit because I was uh, doing a little... You, yeah, I could see there were some shenanigans occurring. One some second. Fr- um... <laughs> While you watch that, I'll, I'll tell you what the next bit is. It's the, it's the Tonka versus Von Kruss. Von Kruss, if you've watched enough wrestling over the years, is big veto of WCW and WWE fame, as well as ECW. And Von Kruss, who is, if you know big veto LaGrasso. Oh, knows, God! Was... <laughs> ah, so you watched it. Oh, God! Okay, That's... sorry, I, I I know you were talking about Vito, and I don't mean to Vito your conversation about Vito, but... <laughs> that was the intended reaction. I wanted you to do that while I was talking. What? Jesus, lads! So, so their finisher, um, uh, the Bowen Blake's the finisher, is, is the one does a, a, a back body drop, and then the well, other... Well no, well, no, 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 no. That was a botch. In the real version, Blake just pushes you upwards so that you go up horizontally, like you're Superman flying through the air. Right. That's what the guy was. That's what the guy was supposed to do. He didn't do that. But either way, he goes up for like a flapjack type maneuver, and then the other mm-hmm. chap just grabs his head and just drives his head into the ground, and like he lands a... head first on the canvas. Yeah, it's supposed to be just a face first landing. The boat, the boat just guides you down somewhat. You know, at, at least gently and normally. 
But I mean, this this Pujabra, whoever he was, tried to do a back fl- or a back body drop bump, a, fr- a front flip over Blake's shoulder, and Bo, he's already going up to catch the guy. He can't turn him back in time. So is this this is as good as it's going to look, and bam, pile drives him headfirst into the mat, out of the air, and it is brutal. Jeez. And the guy just crumples like his neck is broken. I I assume he was mostly okay because I've never I would it would have been like Charles Austin we. You would have heard about the story later on. Yeah, we'd have known if he was, uh, if if he'd have died. Yes. Just pull him like behind the curtain, like like it's the Simpsons. Like his arms still sticking out. See, so subtly just kick his fingers away. Good gravy! That's mental. That is ridiculous. Um, yeah, we'll put it on Twitter after the, once the show goes up. But wow, that's ridiculous. Um, sorry, yeah. big veto. Yes. <laughs> So it is Tatanka versus Von Kruss, who I've, I mentioned is Big Vito, and he's playing a German character. He's introduced by Howard Finkel as being from Germany, not Berlin, not Bremen, not Hamburg, not Cologne, not Munich, just Germany. And uh, Intriguing. Speaking of intriguing, here's something that blew my mind when I realized this. These two were on the SmackDown brand in 2006. They were, weren't they? Oh, gosh. Big, Big Vito was dress-wearing Big Vito. It was a it was a comfort choice. And Tatanka was... He was Tatanka. He was just a 13-year-older Tatanka. I remember Tatanka's last run. It wasn't too bad. He was, wasn't awful. <laughs> they gave him that... Like, like everyone in the mid two thousands had that generic, sort of hard rock theme song, like the like the heavy bass guitar, like 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 the uh, Miz's first song and Gene Snitsky's first song and Shannon Moore, like all had like the same kind of music. He got a song like that. It, it had the war cry at the start, but then it went into the generic rock music. That it was so like, and they added like these like birds shrieking in it, like look at that. Like these screaming eagles or whatever. It, it was really bizarre. Very, very kind of generic, but with added bird squealing. <laughs> yes, that, that's really. <laughs> and I can't remember one match he had. I just know he was there. Well, this is um, on this occasion. This is just Tatanka, you know, just running through Von Cruz. Uh, there's at one point where he gets chucked into the corner, and Von Cruz bumps a bit like Sonic the Hedgehog losing his rings. Yes, he just arms in the air, hands in the air. It looks like he's just lost his rings. It was a good look. His feet kick out. He lands on his back. It's really strange. And Von Cross for for being a bigger guy, he he bumped like a champ in this match. He really did. He really did. He he flew around all the monkey flips, hip tosses. Doink shows up early on in the match, comes down to the ring just to establish his existence. He uses a squirt flower to drench the fans, and then he leaves. Okay. Pointless. Turns up and clears off. It's at this point in the match that Vince explains to us the significance of Tatanka's red hair. He says, and I'm quoting here, it represents all of the blood of the Native American nation combined. But does it, though? Or is that just Vince just riffing? It sounds like someone that is well-meaning, but it was just thrown together by someone that is well-meaning but slightly ignorant. <laughs> it feels a bit ignorant. 
<laughs> I like Bobby Heenan's explanation for what it was. He said years ago, it, it, it signified that he was the grand marshal of the Lucille Ball Parade. <laughs> oh, I miss Bobby. Ah, uh, yes. So Tatanka starts chopping the living crap out of Von Kress. I mean, these are like Big Show shush chops. Just echoing, Von Kress's chest is redder than William Regal's after a chop fest. Tatanka did a number on him here. And uh, we get to this weird spot late in the match because Von Kress, this is like a four-minute match, and Von Kress gets an offense late in the match, which is weird because he got, got, he got in his stuff early. Tatanka takes over. You think it's going to just you know, be smooth sailing to the finish. But no, it, it, the tide turns. But Tatanka makes his comeback. And as he always does in his comeback, he starts doing the war dance. He's on the war you path. Know, He's you know, tatunkering up. Yes, hopping on the one foot, then the other foot. Starts circling around. Von Kruss is trying to register fear and nervousness at the idea of his opponent powering up. So he starts backing up, and he starts almost dancing himself like he's in sync with Tatanka. <laughs> while making this horrified face. <laughs> so it's, it's like... It's like Tatanka Dance Dance Revolution. You're trying to keep in time with what's going on and failing miserably at it. And it was shortly after this that we that Tatanka just went crazy, hit all the chops forever, and then we got an end of a trail, and Tatanka wins and continues his winning streak and his streak as most popular person on Monday Night Raw. Yes, that was a fun match. It was good. I was really surprised by the amount of offense that Von Kruis got. Really impressed. Like, they're, they're, it's almost like they went, he could be a thing at some point. There is that. And he, he did have a pretty good career for him afterwards as one of the Mama Lukes and as part of the FBI. He did fine for himself. But to me, Tatanka, he has this almost the same match every time. But he's fun to watch because he's so – he puts energy into everything he does. There's an emphasis on how hard the chops are and when he goes into the war dance and when he just – He's a good power brawler for what he is, even if, it, if even his matches are kind of, I guess you could say paint by number in a way. Like, you know what he's going to do before he does it, but but they're all fun to watch. In an era like this, where some of the performers are so shonky, Tatonka is consistently okay. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. No, not at all. When in a show like this, where you where it will just jump around so much in terms of quality and stars, Tatanka is kind of like this divine constant on Monday Night Raw. He is reliable. He is very reliable. And if you tweet him, he will definitely retweet you. That is cool. Yeah, he retweets everything. I have nothing bad to say about Tatanka whatsoever. In fact, I'm going to tweet him now. Um, I want you. I want you to tweet at him. You were you were a wonderful constant, despite being paint by numbers. You were fantastic. Right. Just um, to see what he does. Recording you, at Cultaholic Classic Raw Review with JRH writing. You have, you have been blocked by real Tatanka Chris Chavis. <laughs> Are you blocked? No, oh, I'm not. Oh, I'm saying you're the first one. Tatanka. Is it at, at native to Tonka? Is okay. the divine constant of <laughs> Monday Night Raw in 1993? 
Hashtag Buffalo. (laughs) He's blocked two people, you and Lex Luger. (laughs) And I'm going to find a... uh, Have we got a gif of Tatanka? No. Right, I'm going to have to... So, after this match... You talk about that, I shall continue to tweet Tatanka. Okay, so after this match, we have yet another hard sell for the WrestleMania replay, hosted by Sean Mooney. And, And this part really gets me, because... The replay is on right after Raw at 10 o'clock Eastern, and on the West Coast, it's going to air at 10 p.m. Pacific on a school night. So this is a product that is geared towards children. WrestleMania at this point was, was almost a three-hour show. This is going to run until 1 in the morning. I, I guess they're assuming that the parents are going to uh, record it for their kids, but at least it's paid for so the kids can watch it after school the next day or whatever if they hadn't already seen it. And, and, and to make matters even stranger, the video release, they say it's April 22nd on Coliseum Video. That's just 10 days after this sh- – this, uh, it's 10 days following the replay, so I guess I guess they're hoping that you buy the replay and the VHS, which, well, that's uh, that's ambitious. Just anything. Else. Just buy it all and then buy it again, please, because <laughs> do you know how much it costs to build that Roman Coliseum in Caesar's parking lot? we got to pay all that back. You know what Hogan's price tag was? How much the crow was that sat on Undertaker's side? <laughs> and and in promoting the replay, and keep in mind this is what they're this is what they're hoping that you'll buy the replay for. They plug that you got double world title changes, of course, but they also plug Crush versus Doink and Taker versus Gonzalez. And and, and Sean Mooney. Now, I like Sean Mooney. I like him because he's not he, Mean Gene Oakland this week. <laughs> Sean Mooney is uh, he's a pretty consistent he, he's, he's, a pretty, he's a pretty level-headed announcer you know, he, he, he's, he's not too far to one side or another he's not boring he's not over the top he, he's just he's serviceable he's fine and and uh, I, I do enjoy his podcast he, he, he's a great interviewer he's a very thoughtful man but in talking about the Gonzalez-Taker match Sean Mooney who is as basic as an announcer could possibly be says, you cannot kill a man who is already dead. That is like an exact that. statement. <laughs> and I, and I'm, I'm thinking, well, who the hell is he, Donald Pleasance? What is this Halloween? <laughs> Sean Mooney in a trench coat holding, holding a six-shooter. <laughs> come on, come on, Laurie Strode. We have to kill your brother. Oh, even though he is already dead, and he is pure evil. <laughs> That's a lovely That's... thought. <laughs> I, I, I hope I hope in this Halloween remake that comes out in October that Sean Mooney is Doctor Loomis. It might weirder things have happened. So Sean Mooney, Sean Mooney plugs WrestleMania Nine, tells us to buy it and buy it and buy it again. Uh, we go to ringside. Um, Rob Bartlett makes me laugh. Genuinely makes me laugh here. I know I got on your case for being a, a Rob Bartlett apologist, mm-hmm. but I'm quite mm-hmm. happily going to join you on that side of the Rob Bartlett fence for the line that he gives us when he is flicking through WWF magazine with Hulk Hogan on the front. And that is the last time we will see Hulk Hogan for a bit. More on that in a later on. But as he's flicking through it, you hear Rob Bartlett, who is kind of just chuntering to himself whilst Vince and that are plugging the rest of the night. And I hear Rob Bartlett say, I'm looking for a picture of me in here, looking through the magazine. Wait, there I am. Oh, wait, no, that's Kamala. (laughs) (laughs) He genuinely made me laugh. Well done, Rob. 
See, Bartlett can be funny. He can be funny. And what really annoys me is as he's getting funnier, they sack him. Yeah, it's I hate you, Vince. I hate you so much, but offer me a job. I hate you, Vince. (laughs) That's how we all feel. (laughs) But, like, why sack him as he's getting better? Speaking of Bartlett, he's part of our next segment. He certainly is. he's, He's standing ringside. He's here to interview Luna Vachon. And, and at first he looks so thrilled to be doing this, and I can't I I can't put Quimmer around so thrilled enough because he just looks like he's bored out of his skull. And Do you know why his, he looks right, bored? And and the, and I've just I've really just kind of joined his club in the last in literally in the last thirty seconds, but I've got to get back to the other side of the fence very quickly just to say, Rob Bartlett, stop chewing gum. Stop! All he's done is chew gum, and it's and that is why he looks bored. He is literally just chewing gum whilst talking on telly. Come on now. It maybe helps with his nerves. Who knows? Mr. Oh, but you know, but you just chill out with that. I don't know. Mister Kennedy couldn't do it, so neither can you. Well, what Kennedy it had to do is overall character that he was just above everything, and that everything just annoyed him. With Bartlett, maybe it maybe doesn't. Maybe it's not as as effective as, as as it would be for Kennedy, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I know, I know. So here he is, <laughs> chewing gum, looking bored. Yeah. So he, he brings out Luna Vachon, and Luna is just grunting. I want to say squeal and grunt. She's scrunting at the crowd. Scrunting. He's like, you know nothing of me. That is a fantastic impression of Luna Vachon. Where did that come from, Justin? I have a tendency to do voices sometimes because I need someone to talk to. <laughs> All right, Rob Bartlett. But Bartlett looks absolutely befuddled while Luna is, is is ranting and raving in an almost ultimate warrior-like fashion. <laughs> I mean, she's. I mean, like, how does Luna hold the voice up for as long as she does without like straining her voice box? It's incredible. I think Luna yeah. Vachon was decades too soon. Can you imagine Luna Vachon popping up on NXT with this gimmick? Be brilliant. <laughs> I, her versus like Ember, her versus Shayna Baszler would be interesting. Oh yeah, well that's kind of like Nikki Cross is is very is a very similar type of craziness. I mean, Nikki Cross, Daphne, that kind of character. But mm. Luna was just on a different level of, of co- I want to say, commitment. <laughs> I need just a voice. You say. <laughs> basically, you're just doing, basically, you're just, you're just doing Lucille Ball who, after smoking six packs of cigarettes a day. Lucille Ball when she never kicked the habit. <laughs> it's basically just like a gothic lunch lady, Doris. Um, with this bit, I don't feel like Rob Bartlett was truly... I think Rob Bartlett was meant to be in control of the segment, but I don't get the vibe that he was truly in control of the segment. No, because Luna's going on about Sensational Sherry. This is this is going to be the big big female feud of 93, perhaps. This was going to be the catalyst for the women's division before before Medusa came in at the end of the year. But um, we get the first role appearance of Sherry moments later, and Sherry... Has quite an interesting getup on. It's kind of like half power suit, isn't it? it, it it's like a gothic debutante. She nice. has on like this. She has on like this white button-up shirt, and these baggy sort of meshy pants with black boots. And her hair is in an afro, and she has this maroonish, 
eye shadow around her on her face. It is a weird look. And it's like she went partially Mad Max for this. Like she's anti-entity. But at the same time, she's like she's like a businesswoman from, from the late 80s, early 90s. It is a strange look. And Luna gives us this wonderful line, which – do I have to do it in her voice? Yes, you do. You okay. have made a rod for your own Jane and Freddie, so you have to do the voice. Okay, okay so while Luna is, is ranting at Sherry now, because Sherry's standing there at ringside, Luna says, and I'm quoting here, I am a bandit from the wild and tame future. <laughs> now, that's a line. Somewhere Jim Helwig was cribbing that. Got to use that. So Bartlett's standing between the ladies, and Sherry throws this high MMA-style kick around Bartlett that hits Luna right in the chops. <laughs> that may have been the best kick I've seen on Raw to this point. <laughs> so in the midst of this brawl, Bartlett's shirt gets torn up, and he gets thrown around. He's collateral damage. Sherry's shirt gets ripped apart, and this is a decidedly non-PG segment at this point. Because Sherry is... I'll try to keep this somewhat clean and respectable. She's down to her bra at this point. And, yeah, uh, they just start, like... like the, the whole stripping thing is peculiar anyway. Yeah, it is... It is um, there's, a, there's a lot more flesh in this segment than there were on some Attitude Era roles. Some. Not, not, not many, but some. They're choking each other with a microphone cord. Sherry tries to throw Luna into the crowd and rips the seat of her pants, exposing... Well, Luna's wearing a thong, and that's made quite obvious. There's a lot of PG-13-ish nudity here. Not quite R-rated, but deep in... But it's beyond PG. This isn't a kid-friendly show at this point at all. No, not in the slightest. <laughs> you sound dead serious there. It really isn't, because it just goes... It's suddenly... It, it, it's this is where I feel like it shifted into almost attitude era, because you've suddenly got these two. And I didn't expect it to go this way. I expected them to rook and to fight. Didn't expect them to start ripping each other's clothes off. Yeah, this is a. If I was watching this, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure I was watching this '93. If my mom walked into the room, I would have had to change the channel. It's weird. Yeah. So like anything else like, like anything else that on, on Rolf '93, whether it was Doink or. Whoever else, she would have just rolled her eyes and kept walking. This she would have said, what the hell are you watching? Uh, this is kids programming. <laughs> this is the same wrestling I've been watching for the last four years. Um, so Slaughter and Patterson show up to ruin the fun because they are the comedic cock blocks here. <laughs> <laughs> we get a funny moment where Slaughter carries Luna away in the power slam position over one shoulder. That was funny. That was very funny by Slaughter. Slaughter in his tweed sports coat while Pat's wearing a brown leather jacket. Like, also they're going clubbing afterwards. <laughs> they were the original Roxbury guys, Pat and Sarge. That would be a great film. Please make that happen. <laughs> so we come back from break and we get a nice little reunion here as it's Savage who's interviewing Sherry. That was lovely. When they came back, I was like, oh, it's the king and the queen. And Savage even gave her his cowboy hat to hold over her chest. To hide her modesty. Yes, because that entire segment was definitely modest. No, it was near yeah, no modest. But then that's as she's talking and saying, oh, well, I'll get you. Luna comes back and it carries on. 
I was hoping to cut backstage and find, and find Slaughter like dead on the floor or something. <laughs> <laughs> As a like predator tore him apart. Luna comes running back out there. It's like, oh god, she's back. And then they fight and fight. And then Godfather's music hits. Not, but not Godfather's music, but Papa Shango's music. And I'm thinking, what a segue. And that's it, because from... then she, because because Sherry kind of screams, oh yeah, and then the music hits. And I think, that's weird music that Sherry's got. And it's not always oh, Papa Shango's music. And so Luna oh. sort of goes by Papa Shango as as Shango walks to the ring, which is a really <laughs> strange, like, you very rarely see segments cross over like that. <laughs> Certainly, and it's it's appropriate, appropriate that the future Godfather is the one that's coming out after uh after the cat fight, and oh, that was more than a cat fight. That was borderline a dog fight. And so Papa Shango is here, and he's wrestling Scott Taylor. Scotty Too Hot, he's in the house. And here's the thing. Scotty Too Hot, already in the ring. So was he yes. just like ringside perving as all that was going on just now? Yes, while Sherry's being interviewed while holding a cowboy hat over her, I don't want to say her shame, but her partially exposed bosom there. Is he just standing there? <laughs> He's just like in the, in the ring as... He did have a big old <laughs> grin on his face as, as the match started, so I think he was. The dirty He's boy. Been... The dirty boy. He's always been a very joyful person, Scott Taylor, although Fink introduced him as Skip Taylor. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah, was that that was a blunder by, by the Fink, wasn't it? Well, not really, because on some shows he'd, he'd been introduced as Skip Taylor and actually on the... um unreleased DVD that came out last year. He worked with Taz in Taz's tryout match in 93, and he was called Skippy Taylor in that match. Ah, okay. I just thought, I thought, the, I thought the Fink had forgotten where he was briefly. <laughs> and to see Scott Taylor in 1993, you couldn't even tell that he was going to be the guy doing the worm six years later. He looked no. so different. He was like 20 years old. He had long brownish hair, not quite a mullet, but certainly not a look that would be prevalent in later years. You can tell what era this is just by looking at his hair. He, he, he looked like Stifler from American Pie, but more muscular. <laughs> that's, just, that's true. He did, actually. It is, he, is, he is very Sean William Scott-like in some ways. This match was pretty much a backdrop to what, what, what was going on around the ring. So this was going on, and this is a Papa Shango showcase match. And we suddenly see, about a minute or so in, Rob Bartlett come from the back area. So Rob Bartlett has, has hightailed it uh, during the... He got mixed up during the Luna and Sherry beating and hightailed it. Came out looking like he'd been mugged. Shirt all ripped, like face all messed up, hair all messed up. Oh, a bloody lip. Bloody lip. And he came out to the ringside and they just collapsed on the floor. Right in front of the commentary desk. And that <laughs> is when I think Randy Savage, who has been riding Bartlett and riding Bartlett since he arrived, I think this is where Randy Savage warmed to him. <laughs> he, Bartlett was committed to the joke here. And Savage goes over, I, I, I can't remember what he did now. Did he like... He, he said, I, I better go wake him up. And so Savage goes over and just slaps him several times in the that, face. That's what he did. <laughs> I mean, the crowd was laughing, so there's that. We, we, have, we have video proof that Bartlett made somebody laugh other than you and me. 
But I do, th- but it was just like the way that Savage was talking to him as he was coming back. Like, I feel like, yeah, Savage has rode this guy forever. And I think he's now, he's cool with him now. I feel like now he's cool with him. Now he's gone through On his last night there. On his last night. But his there. last night, he's happy with him. It's so cool. <laughs> it's like when someone's. I think when someone's like a house guest for a week and they get on your nerves, but on their last day, you're kind of nice to them because, you're, because you know they're leaving. Because you know they're going, yeah. You're really chuffed that they're actually going. <laughs> I mean, I, I, can, I, think I can think of a few occasions where people have stayed with me and I've been like extra joyous on their last day. Because I, I do like people, but for a limited amount of time. And if they stay for a couple of days, something on the last day is where we really celebrate because I know that I'm getting my apartment back the day after. <laughs> I'll help you pack your bags. La, 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 la. <laughs> Let's put them in the car now, just so they're ready to go in the morning. So, so a Taylor uh, back to this match, even though it, it is firmly a backdrop for all, all the all the insanity at ringside. Papa Shango, he he puts Taylor in his claw hold at one point, like he's going after his eyes or his nose, and Scott Taylor is doing some Iron Mike Sharp esque loud selling here, just ah ah. Like he, he is, is a noisy he is, boy. He is committed to convincing you that Papa Shango is tearing his eyes out of his head. He, he, he put some effort into this cell. And it, it was as Savage was, was smacking Bartlett conscious that Shango hits the shorter breaker on Taylor. The match, like I said, it, it was fine for what it was. It was just Shango throwing around a, a junior heavyweight, making him, make himself look stronger. It was just a backdrop for all the silliness. It was a silliness backdrop, and, and that's all it was. But it's always nice to see Papa Shango. Because I think Shango's a great character. I love Papa Shango. <laughs> and, 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 of course, seeing the future light heavyweight champion, Scott Taylor. Of course. Very nice. And, 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 and while Bartlett is trying to bring himself around in, in the third chair, Vince plugs Friar Ferguson one more time with some clear apprehension on his face. Like his, his his if his eyes bugged out anymore, they would have fallen out of his head. And there's no time left to change your mind, Vince. You made a bet with yourself. It's now a thing. <laughs> Our next segment is the debut of Friar Ferguson. No vignettes, as far as we know. No promo, as far as we know. Literally, Vince McMahon at the start of this week's Raw saying. The debut of Friar Ferguson is tonight. Now, if you're debuting a regular kind of run-of-the-mill wrestler, then you can kind of get away with that lack of promotion. But when your new character is a wrestling monk, mm-hmm. it requires even the, the teeniest bit of backstory. Even the Undertaker, who just turned up at Survivor Series, had the teeniest bit of backstory because Ted DiBiase was like, I paid for this guy. He's my boy. That's that's fine. And we got loads more backstory from The Undertaker as we went on. But like, oh, here he is. He's a wrestling monk because of reasons. Off we go. Yeah, there was there was nothing. Like, I could tell I, I must have missed this show in 93 because, spoiler alert, this is his only match on television. For reasons uh, that kind of make sense, the um, several religious groups, Catholic groups, kind of complained about this. And they weren't upset with the idea of what they saw as a blasphemous character in, in their eyes. And you could tell Vince wasn't really married to the idea in the first place. So this is his one match on TV. I think he gets involved on next week's show briefly. Yeah, because according to the WWE Network, he is 
listed. Like the, the, the thumbnail is a picture of him for next week. But that okay, might so just he, be the WWE Network being wrong. But we'll find out next week. He, he, he does have some brief involvement, but that's it for him. This is as close to a one and done as you could possibly be. And personally, I didn't find it to be all that bad. Of course, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not very religious, so it's not going to offend me. But because this happened in the last half hour of the show, um, I would go to bed 30 minutes into Raw every Monday night at that age because I was only nine years old. So anything that happened after 9:30, I was usually not aware of unless so somebody told me. So must have really been your boy. <laughs> Yes, he was. Because the talk was, was always eventer. in the first twenty minutes of Raw. Yes, he was my main eventer, <laughs> and and um, so if something big happened in the last half hour, I I found out in school the next day from a classmate, or my brother found out from one of his classmates, and then he told me. So I never heard of Fire Ferguson until like the year two thousand. I'm like, wait, Mike Shaw was somebody else, and. And I found out through WrestleCrap when R.D. Reynolds inducted him back in the year 2000. Like, why have I never heard of this? That was how I found out through R.D. Reynolds. <laughs> he was a blink and you'll miss a character. Yes, Mike. This character. This was. Uh, this is Mike Shaw. And if you if you're not really familiar with Mike Shaw, he would soon be rechristened as Bastion Booger, and have a little more life in that gimmick. Although, that's not saying much in a, in, in a litany of ways. I'm gonna pull up Mike Shaw's Wikipedia real fast. I know I've got it right the, uh... here. If you and on my days, this man has had a lot of gimmicks. He would make Ed Leslie blush. I'm gonna read off every ring name that Mike Shaw has ever used. Go on then. And these are, and these are alphabetical. I know you want to do the um, the Facebook thing in a moment. We'll, 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 we'll get to we'll... it. We'll get to it. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> it's all good. Okay, Mike Shaw, who passed away in 2010 at the age of 53. He was a more than talented performer for a man his size. He was billed as being 401 pounds. I think it was 385 on this show, but whatever. He, he was broad as he was broad as Clay's weight, but he's about maybe four inches shorter. Just about six three. These were uh, these were his ring names: Aaron Grundy, Big Ben Sharp, Bastion Booger, Cousin Mike, Friar Ferguson, Jed Grundy, Klondike Mike. Makin Singh, that was in Stampede when he was rechristened as part of Karachi Vice. Ah, the old days. Man Mountain Mike. Mike Stryker, possibly the father of Matt. Norman the Lunatic. Norman the Maniac. Trucker Norm. William Danger. And this is not alphabetical, but Mike the Danger. There you go. What a busy boy. Certainly, he's he's had quite a distinguished career. How would you describe Friar Ferguson's in-ring debut against one Chris Duffy? Well, it was partially comedic. Actually, it was mostly comedic because it was absurd. But I found some enjoyment with it because for as bad as it was overall, you could tell Mike Shaw was having fun with it. Yeah, Mike Shaw was was given lemons and he made lemonade. (laughs) He was just having fun with his silly idea. A few years earlier, he was Norman the Lunatic in WCW. He was managed by Teddy Long. He was he was basically an asylum patient who wore like a asylum style sweatsuit. He had a full head of hair that was just brushed out, looked like he'd been, you know, he's like a penny in the light socket. But the, but he he was like the friendly simpleton character, where he was, I mean, I, I, I guess you could say 
he was nuts, but he was lovable. And Taylong would like abuse him. He would show this big gold key and basically tell Norman, if you don't do what I tell you to do, I'm going to put you back in the asylum. I'm going to have you recommitted. So he was like a sympathetic character, even though it was kind of a – I want to say it was a corny gimmick because fans bought into him. They wanted to see Norman get, you know, beat up his tormentor, the man who was controlling him, and break free and be his own man. So he was, he was kind of a popular character in 1990. He had his own little thing going there. I seem to remember him being quite popular. Yeah, he was a. Uh, I I hate to compare him to like Eugene in that sense because you know, they, they were two different, uh, you know, two different constitutions there for what they were supposed to be representing. But it was, it was the idea of someone that didn't have their full faculties but was lovable. If you know, in, uh, I think you get what I'm saying in, in, in that sense, it, without being a uh, blasphemous toward anyone's condition or whatever. I'm with you. I'm with you. I hear yeah. what you say. Okay, okay. So it, it, it was. It was of that ilk where if somebody tormented Eugene, you'd want to see Eugene lash out and beat them up for being such a bully. Well, Norman was the same way. And that was probably the best gimmick of Mike Shaw's career. Unless you're like a big Stampede fan and, and you love Mock and Sing, which I'm not going to... I won't hold that against you. We it, won't judge you, but we will judge you. <laughs> Mock and Sing had some really good matches with Owen Hart in like the late 80s. I will say that. So there's potential for him to be an okay match machine. Oh, oh, absolutely. You just need to have someone bump off of him and let him be like the big powerhouse, and you got a shot at that. But this was something completely different. Mm. Now. But Fryer Ferguson, though, like you said, he was having fun, um, certainly making lemons, mm. uh, taking lemons and making lemonade. As, as best he could. Uh, very limited sort of move set. There was a few moves in there that stood out. The finish was pretty grim. <laughs> That was the precursor to his Bastion Booker finisher. It was um, I, don't know, I I will say during the entrance though, this was kind of funny. He um, as, as he's walking out of the entrance set with his brown robe on, he has the hood up. He pulls up part of his robe to expose a notepad around his neck, and it just has the word "monk" written on it in pencil. Just in case you're not sure what he is. Well, well, well no, no, no. I, I figured it out. He taken a vow of silence. So he couldn't tell you what he was ah. verbally. But then I wonder, could a wrestling monk call spots in the ring? They'd have to write them down on a notepad <laughs> and just hold the notepad up whilst in a chin lock. Him as a partner playing charades, main event of WrestleMania. Oh, body slam! And he points at you all emphatically. <laughs> Match is three hours long. Take a while, but he'd get there in the end. Yes, <laughs> he has his own method of effectiveness, even though it's not um, efficient. <laughs> there, there was a funny spot in the match where, where Ferguson ended up on the apron, and his opponent, his opponent is named Chris Duffy. He's this f- fairly tall jobber with shaggy hair who's wearing the same, who, whose tights have the same color scheme as, as Dan O'Brien and Brie Bell's blue and green look. <laughs> it was a and, weird, um, weird outfit he had on. Yes, he was a Kind of an odd-looking fella also. He tries to slingshot Ferguson into the ring over the top rope. Where you, you, know, you pull the top rope and you, and you jerk it back so that they fly over. But Ferguson, because he's 400 pounds, reverses it. And Duffy cuts his flip over the top rope to the floor. And it looked pretty brutal. That was painful. But not as painful as Fire Ferguson's dancing. Yeah, that was a guy who was just told to go out and dance. But just couldn't <laughs> dance. You not everybody. I mean, everybody can dance. Not everybody can dance well. 
And yes. Ferguson can't dance well. He had Duffy down on the mat. He proceeds to pull up his robe to expose his chubby thighs and knees. He does something that vaguely resembles the Charleston. Shakes his knees back and forth. And he puts his hands down to kind of do the dude love shake, like, like crossover knee dance. I'm sure I could hear people screw. in the crowd being horrified by that as well. <laughs> At this point, I wasn't sure if he was a face or a heel. <laughs> I don't think he, he knew uh, with dances uh, like that. Uh, how could I forget before the match, he, he drank holy water out of some sort of like flume type thing. Now that was fun. And he did that at the end of the match as well. Double down on the old holy water. He even said some to the fans. So some, some, it, some, very, some very blessed fans now in the, in the Hudson Centre. It's like some sort of a Catholic Gatorade. The, um, the end of the match, anyway. So he does. So anyway, the, the finish is that Friar Ferguson just sits on him, just pulls yes. up his robe and sits on him. It's grim. <laughs> it's <laughs> it just made me feel a bit sad for Chris Duffy. <laughs> and it wasn't like a full sit down spot for you to sit on the guy's chest and that's it. No, what Mike Shaw does, he throws his feet back, so he lands in the seated position. But as though the, 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 it's like a genuflection position. Where like his crotch goes right into the guy's chin and mouth, and his butt is right on the guy's like upper sternum, and the guy's he's pinned hopelessly, and and that was also his move when he was bashing Booger as well. Well, now, well, now when he was bashing Booger, the move was called, if you remember this, the trip to the Bat Cave. Oh, really? That is horrific. Yes. yes. That is, if you know the, the, the connotation of that, that is horrific. Um, <laughs> this, however, I do believe that Friar Ferguson needs a finishing move better than the trip to the back cave. So I asked the official Cultaholic fan page to give us a finisher for Friar Ferguson. And once again, you have gone hell for leather and given us plenty of uh, sometimes anti-Semitic suggestions for a finisher for Friar Ferguson. Um, so here's how we're going to do it, Justin. I'm going to rattle through uh, a few of these, and I'd like you to grade them uh, with bronze, silver, or gold. Okay. Well, great. Well, I'm not the official grader of Call of Hulk, but I will give it a go. Today, you are officially the the raw grader mm-hmm. okay. uh, for this podcast. So uh, thank you for these in no particular order. Uh, Sam Jorgson from Hartlepool with Friar Tuck Your Chin. <laughs> Well, he had a lot of chins, including a chin. He had a band-aid on, on one of his chins, if you noticed. It was it like he had, he had like a shaving mishap, so... It kind of took away from the uh, the authority of the monk gimmick. Yeah. The, it made him look too human. It's like when Bruiser Brady was, was supposed to be wearing socks during a match. It takes away from the caveman character. Like, like oh, he's wearing, uh, he's, wearing some, he's wearing department store socks. That's, that's interesting. So what do we reckon, then? Got bronze, silver, or gold? I'll go silver for that one. Nice. Jesse Dunn, Little John, essentially a kneeling fireman's carry slam. Uh, that's that's not super imaginative. I'll go bronze for that. You nice. get something for it, though. Uh, John Malliot with um, a crucifixion power, a crucifix powerbomb, uh, renamed the Atheist Annihilator, which sounds very <laughs> aggressive. I'll give that one gold. I like that. Damien Stone, the vow of silence, which is essentially a sleeper hold with a hand slash forearm <laughs> over the mouth. That is gold. That is, <laughs> that's, that's, that's effed up, but that, that gets a gold. Now, a few people gave us this one, but Jonathan Mayer, you were in there first. 
Frog splash off the top rope called the Holy Diver. <laughs> Anything that references Dio is automatic gold. Uh, Chris Lappin. Diver. Go ahead. Love this. The Pope up power bomb. <laughs> gold. <laughs> nice. Um, John Eiley. Hi to John. Dropping the habit. A big splash off the second rope. Silver. Oh, okay. Um, Ryan Palmer, the frantic face fry. He teabags a prone opponent. The opponent would want to fry off his face after experiencing the move. That was going to be a silver until he explained it, so that's definitely a gold. Uh, Aaron Greg, Aaron, sorry, Aaron Grog with a second rope choke slam called the Ladder to Heaven. Silver. Uh, okay. Kieran Brannan, Trial of the Cross, a submission like a cross face. Silver. It's all right, it's all right, that one. Uh, Gareth Townsend, a Samoan drop with a spin cycle called the Tumble Fryer. Mm, silver. <laughs> um, Gaza Williams, the godly cleansing, which is, again, a splash off the top rope, but the cover is him <laughs> praying. Nice touch. It's still not going to pass silver, though. It's fine, but, like, I mean... How the hell is Mike Shawman fly off the top rope? He's 400 pounds. Everybody seems very adamant he can jump off the top rope. Uh, Carl Ingle uh, offers us uh, the Dirty Deeds, rebranded as the Monk Dunk. That's just stupid enough to get a gold. Uh, Joe LM has just put Sweet Hymn Music. <laughs> love I love a good pun. That's, that's between a silver and gold. I can't decide. I'll round up gold. David McNulty, uh, a low blow called Bash the Bishop. Anything that references masturbation is gold. <laughs> uh, James Michael Morales, uh, Eddie's Three Amigo, Eddie Guerrero's Three Amigos, renamed the Holy Trinity. Mm, silver. Nice. Like that. I do like that. Um, I did like it. The Alexander Armstrong with the Friar Recliner. <laughs> Friar Ferguson is your hookup. I'll if you hear me. <laughs> so you have a. Uh, you have an eight and one third chance of being of being converted to the uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that would kind of cast a, a different look at his, his his relationship with a Petey Williams type character, but we won't go there. What do you reckon then? Are we doing bronze, silver, or gold for the Friar Recliner? Well, well, it's a big pop of pump Scott's now, reference. That's gold. Yes, it's gotta be. Uh, and we'll finish on um, uh, Ethan Bordeloo with a power bomb, just called the Deep Friar. There's a lot of deep fryer references there. Yeah, I'm sure we had one in here, which is somebody had put the deep fat fryer, and it really made me laugh, but I can't find it right now. But if that was you, then you're getting the gold from me. Let's see. Let's see here. Um, well, I mean, I'm, I love deep fried foods. Um, I should probably cut back on a few of those, and uh, I'll go silver for that one. Very see nice. What, see, see, what I would have done would, would, would be to have uh, Fryer Ferguson chokeslam him off the entranceway where, where it's all lit up, and call it Confession by the Dashboard Light. Oh, nice. I'm giving you a gold for that. Oh, thank you. Just because you're my co-host. Exactly. Uh, thank you so much for those. Um, sorry to get to all of them, uh, but we are nearly at the end of our time once again. Um, well, I don't throw in real fast. There was one thing I forgot from that match that actually made me laugh out loud. A, a, a good Rob Bartlett line. I mean, it wasn't It wasn't like it was super witty, but it, it, it kind of ties in the world of wrestling insider and outsider. When he says, is he the reason you guys call each other brother all the time? That was nice. I enjoyed that line. I think if Hogan had been on the show more, then that would have been nice. <laughs> he pulled the curtain back a little bit there. 
Um, we end the show with Ted, DiBiase, and IRS backstage. Uh, we have found out during the Fryer Ferguson match that next week it's Money Inc. versus the Beverly Brothers. And just as IRS and Ted are talking through strategy, Beverly's jump out of nowhere and attack them to end Monday Night Raw. Beverly's are goodies. What a treat. <laughs> It is the second show at WrestleMania, and the show ends with a pull-apart involving the Beverly Brothers. We are two weeks removed from WrestleMania. Where is Bret Hart, and where is Hulk Hogan? Bret Hart, we'll see very soon. Hulk Hogan, eh, we'll never... We'll Actually, I know where Hulk Hogan is. Hulk Hogan is about to set off for Japan. And in two weeks' time, we will talk about some of the things he did in Japan that really and, got my goat. Yeah, in other words, a, a few things he said in Japan. That's it. That's what he so, said. But that's in two weeks' time. Um, mm -hmm. We are nearly at the end of our time together. Justin, your thoughts on this week's Monday Night Raw? I thought it was a really enjoyable show. Um, it wasn't a great show, but it kept my attention. There was there was enough activity and enough zaniness that made me, that made me, uh, that made me engaged. It wasn't your typical... Monday Night Raw up to this point, it was I would say it was a it was above the standard, and sometimes that's all, that's all you can ask. It was one really good match, IRS and Scott Steiner. Nothing else was really great, great, but it held my attention. Agreed. This was certainly an improvement on what we've had. I do feel like we're still missing some vital components from wrestling in from the WWF at the moment, namely your WWF champion. Who has just done a Brock Lesnar before a Brock Lesnar? Yeah, Hawks backstage reading a fishing magazine. <laughs> he pretty much is. Bret Hart is nowhere to be found. They even took him off the Ica Pro advert this week. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, the Stein Brothers this time. It was. Hey, you think, hey, you think Hawks reading the field and stream that Luna Vachon's the centerfold of? <laughs> oh God, that'd be now. If someone could Photoshop that. That would be brilliant. It all ties together. Thank you so much for joining us this week uh, for the Classic Raw Review. We're back next week. Raw is steadily, gradually getting better. And we're about the same level. So that's fine. <laughs> so, so we're saying, is it in two years our show is going to absolutely suck? <laughs> oh, is it? Well, like 95 rolls, you got to figure. Oh, we've got that to come yet, haven't we? Uh, thank yes. you very much. He is at JRH Writing. I am at Tom Campbell. We are at Cultaholic together. Join us with a question mark. Love you. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 